My name is uh, Dave, and my mic is on, <laughs> and uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. There we go, and uh, especially if you're a guest with us, thank you for coming and being our guest. We welcome you, love the chance to get to meet you uh, before you leave today, and um, thank you for being here. So we have been, uh, if you haven't been with us for a while, we've been uh, looking at the Gospel of John, since early December, we've been taking just one chapter at a week and going through the Gospel of John and looking at the life of Jesus. And we're in a series called Life on the Move. And as Stan mentioned, we are a church on the move. And what that means for us, what movement means for us is that we as a church, we don't just, a church is not just a place we meet. The church is who we are. It's something that defines us. It defines our day-to-day lives. And that means that wherever we go, According to Jesus, we are sent. We are sent on mission with him to shine his light, to show his love, to, uh, to be his peace to people who are desperate for peace. We are a church on the move to people who need redemption, people who, who need hope. That's who we are. We're a church on the move. That's just who we are. Whether we act that way or not, that's who God says we are as his people And so we've been looking at the life of Jesus and how Jesus models that for us. That's exactly what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, he introduced people to God. He is God in the flesh. That's what we believe about Jesus. We believe he is the God-man, that he is God incarnate. And that wherever Jesus went, he displayed God to people. He showed people what God is like. He invited them to follow God, to walk with God, to enter into a relationship with God, and to experience life with God. That's what life is. Life is really the key word in the Gospel of John. It appears over 30 times, and Jesus continually shows people what real life is about. And what he, He's not just talking about a life that never ends. He's talking about a quality of life, a quality of life that goes way beyond your income and your assets and your security and your safety and your family and all the things that we typically look at to define who we are. Jesus says that through relationship with God, you can experience life to the full. Life abundant. Life abundant. And and, and today we're going to look at the same thing as we look at the life of Jesus. We're going to be in John 16 in just a minute. And we're going to look at how Jesus offers everybody a life of peace. Do you want peace in your life? Do you need peace in your life? I do. And Jesus offers it to, to us. And we're going to talk about that today, what that means. Um, some of you know that uh, my, my late grandfather on my mom's side was very influential in my life. He died many years ago when I was in my mid-20s. Um, and I am the oldest of 17 grandchildren, and my grandfather was a devout follower of Jesus. And so my, grand, my grandpa made a concerted effort in his final years to pass on his faith to me. And, and, and just in the last couple of years of his life, really, he poured himself into me. We met every week. We talked on the phone. We went through books together. And he really, he was instrumental in my own decision to follow Christ and in my faith. And I remember one thing that my grandfather said to me when I was in my early 20s, and I pretty much knew everything I needed to know. He said, David, he said, David, you need to go through hard times in life because if you didn't, you would never change. And I didn't understand. This is the first time I've heard that. Some of you know that already. 
and you've known it for a long time, but I'd never heard that before. And I was like, what do you mean I need to, I'm a full-time college student. I'm changing all the time. I'm always trying new things. I don't need to go through hard times to, to change. And he said, um, I, he said, well, when things are going well for you, everything's going according to your plans. You don't need to learn anything. You don't really need to change. You're happy. I mean, what do you need to change for? But when things in your life fall apart, you realize how much you need God. You realize how much you need change. And it's only then that God can teach you what you really need to know. You will change the most when you're going through the hardest times in life. That's what he told me. And I, and I, I took him at his word, but I didn't really, I, I had to learn that the hard way, like I have to learn pretty much everything. And eventually, I realized that I learned the most about myself and the most about life and the most about God when I am going through trouble. That's just the way it is for me. Have you noticed that about you? That's how it is for me. That's how it is for most people. I think you're going to see that that's how it was for Jesus' disciples because as we enter Jesus' final moments with his disciples in John chapter 16, really John chapter 13 through John chapter 17 is really Jesus' final moments with his disciples. That's all one cohesive time slot. In the Gospel of John. I don't know how long it was, a few hours or whatever, before Jesus left. They left the room and they went into the garden. They crossed the Kidron Valley. And just when Jesus prayed and then he was arrested there. So here in John chapter 16, what we have are really the final words of Jesus to his disciples. And I would bet that the disciples have probably never listened so closely to Jesus before as they're listening here to what Jesus is about to tell them. So why don't you turn to John 16, if you're not already there, and let's begin reading in John 16, verse 1. This is what Jesus says to them. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So, so I'm just going to pause there for one second. Here we have Jesus telling the disciples what all this teaching is about in the last few chapters. And what he says is that what he's most concerned about is not that they uh, learn a lot or get more information about God. What he's, what he's primarily concerned about is that they don't fall away. That's what he's most concerned about right now, is that the disciples don't fall away. So we're going to pick it up now in the, this teaching in verse 12. We're going to jump down to verse 12. This is what the Lord says. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus here, he's preparing his disciples for what is about to happen. He doesn't try to soothe them. He doesn't try to put them at ease. He wants them to know how hard it's going to be. Because they aren't ready for it. And I don't know if there's any way they could have been ready for what's about to happen. They will be tempted to assume the worst. They will be tempted to give up. 
They will be tempted to forget everything that Jesus has told them up to this point. They will be tempted to invent trouble that doesn't exist. They will be overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and temptation. But Jesus is not going to leave them alone. He's not going to abandon them. He's going to send a helper. He's going to send who he calls the spirit of truth to lead them and guide them into all the truth and to convict them and convince them that Jesus really is the only way to life. Because they're going to be tempted in the coming days, in the coming weeks, to find another easier way to have peace and to have joy in this world. But Jesus is telling them up front, don't give in. I'm still the way. And and to make sure that you don't fall away, I'm sending you a helper, a counselor, someone to lead you, a person. The Holy Spirit is a person who is equal with God in his glory And he's going to indwell these disciples. They don't know when it's going to happen or even what it's going to look like. But this is what he wants them to know. And so down, and we're going to skip down now to verse 28 and wrap up the chapter. In verse 28, Jesus comes to the end of his final teaching here to the disciples. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, why? That you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. That's, that's pretty much Jesus' last statement to his disciples. I've overcome the world. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you had way more questions than answers. You've all, you've all been there, right? You just had way too many questions for your comfort. And that's pretty much what the disciples are feeling here. Okay, there, there are times in my life where I feel like I need to know what's going to happen next. I need to know that everything's going to be okay. I need to know that our circumstances here are going to turn out for good. I need to know that my kid is going to turn things around or I need to know that my health is going to be restored. I want to know that my marriage is going to survive and get better. I need to know that everything's going to be okay, but you don't know. And that's the problem. I've been in many situations and seasons like that. And I know you have too. And Jesus knows what's going through your mind when you're in that kind of trouble. He knows exactly what's going through your mind. He's been there. He knows what it's like to to feel stress over some impending future. And Jesus, quite honestly, is not in a hurry to fix our situation. He's not in a hurry to answer our questions. What he is very ready to do is to give us peace. He's ready to give us peace. So your trouble for Jesus is an opportunity for you to have peace. Did you know that? 
your trouble in Jesus' eyes is just an opportunity for him to give you peace, for him to give you what you really need. That's what your trouble is to him. So I don't know what it is for you, but that's what it is to him. And this is actually the second time Jesus makes this point. And, and this, this is exactly what he said in John chapter 14. A couple weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 14, and we talked about some of these ideas. And, and the reason that we're talking about him again is because Jesus does. He brings it up again because it's important. And so what he said in John 14, 26 and 27, he said this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace be with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I mean, he said basically the same thing just a little bit earlier. And he says it again for emphasis here. Now, if I'm a disciple and Jesus is telling me all this, I'm worried. Because what he's telling me is that my life is about to change. I'm going to face opposition. I'm going to face social and spiritual rejection from the people I love. I'm going to face hostility. I'm going to face danger. People are going to try to kill me. What? And when they do, they're going to think they're doing God's will. I'm going to experience intense sorrow, he says. There's a section in John 16 we didn't read where Jesus compares the pain I'm going to experience as a disciple to, uh, to the pain a woman giving birth experiences. Are you kidding me? If I'm a disciple and I'm thinking about that, that's terrifying. I was afraid of that pain before I saw five births. And Jesus is telling me as a man... And these disciples, they think they're tough. A lot of men think they're, you think you're tough because you drive a truck or you shoot a gun or you can eat a two-pound steak. But every one of you, if you're being honest, would be terrified and mortified of having to deliver a baby. And yet Jesus is comparing the pain and anguish, you know, spiritually, emotionally, and even physically that the disciples are going to feel with a woman in labor. That's intense. He, he tells them about this Holy Spirit. They don't know who that is or what that looks like or when he's coming. This helper, this counselor. And then he, he, Jesus has the nerve to tell them, don't be afraid. I am giving you peace. Take heart. I've overcome the world. And if I'm a disciple, I'm going to be thinking to myself, Jesus, that's not very helpful. Because I have a lot to be worried about right now. I have, you've given me a lot to be afraid of right now. And I can't just turn that off and on. Like I can't just decide to stop being afraid. I can't just choose to stop worrying. So how do you think I'm going to do that after everything you've just said? And yet Jesus gives us the key to our assurance. He gives us the key. Peace in him. He says peace in him. We have it. That's what he says. Whether you feel it or not, you have it. According to Jesus. So think, you know, you know, when a child trusts their father, a small child, when they trust, when they really trust their father, their father can tell them anything and they'll believe it. And I know this because my dad's told me a bunch of things 
which I've shared with you occasionally. A child, you could tell that child that there's nothing to be afraid of, even when you're, even if you're walking through a severe storm and you're in danger. And if a child trusts their dad, they'll actually believe him and they won't be afraid. Because Why? Because they don't know any better. They don't know any better. They know their dad more than they know even their surroundings. And so they'll trust their dad. Their dad is larger than life. And so they'll trust him. And unfortunately for us, we do know better, don't we? We just know better most of the time, or at least we think we do. And because we have, we have shrunk God and we've shrunk Jesus down to our size, we think that we know better and that we do have a lot to be afraid of and we do have a lot to worry about. Because we know better. We know about all the bad things that could go wrong and all the bad things that could happen. We, we, we ask all the what-if questions. But God tells us to take heart, which means I dare you to trust me. I dare you to take me at my word. I dare you to believe that I've overcome the world. I dare you to believe that there is nothing to be afraid of. Because if I tell you that you have nothing to fear, then you don't. And if I tell you that I'm sending a helper, then I will. And if I tell you that I've overcome the world, then I have. So believe me and see if I don't come through on my promises. Believe me and see if I don't move mountains for you. Believe me and see if I don't give you, if I don't overwhelm you with a peace like you've never experienced before. A peace that is stronger than your trouble. A peace that is more durable than your health and your safety and your wealth and your security. Try. I dare you to. I dare you to believe me. That's what Jesus is telling the disciples. And they don't take the dare. They don't take the dare. They, they scatter. We see this happen. We, they scatter. At least they don't yet. Eventually they do. What about you? Have you dared to trust God in your trouble? Have you dared to trust Jesus for this peace? Why don't we? Why don't we simply take Jesus at his word? Why don't we have peace in our trouble? Why don't we believe? You know what the answer is, right? It's fear. Fear is your biggest obstacle to peace. Jesus tells the the disciples that. Fear is your biggest obstacle. When Jesus gives you peace, you can't be afraid. Peace and fear are incompatible. You can be sad and have peace. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be a Christian and to not be happy all the time. Joy is a little different, right? But... It's okay to be sad and have peace. In fact, Jesus talks about how sad they're going to be. God agrees that there is a lot to be sad about in this world. But do you know what the one command is in the Bible that appears more than any other over 300 times? Don't be afraid. So while you can hold peace and sadness together, you, can, you will never be able to hold peace and fear together. Ever. You can't do it. And when God tells you, don't be afraid, 
you want to say sometimes, God, how can you keep saying that? Don't you know how, how bad it is down here? Don't you know how hard this is? Don't you, don't you know that if I don't get a job soon, I'm going to go broke? Don't you know that my health could fail at any time? Don't you know that we're surrounded by danger everywhere we go? Don't you know that one of my kids is on the brink of self-destruction? How can you tell me not to be afraid? Don't you know what I'm going through? And of course he does. Of course he knows what you're going through. And the reason that God and Jesus, the God-man, tells us repeatedly not to give in to fear is because we have this peace. Through faith, we have it. And if you don't have it, you have to believe. You have to believe and you have to let go of your fear and grab onto and lay hold of the peace that is yours through the blood of Jesus Christ. The peace that Jesus says you have through faith. In Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, in other words, therefore, since we've been made right with God by faith, we have peace through the blood of Jesus. We have peace through his blood. Peace with who? Peace with God forever. You are, your sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus you are justified in God's sight through the blood of Jesus if you, if you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God who took away your sin. And even though you can... Fear is, fear is the biggest threat to us. Fear is a bigger threat to the disciples than death. Because there's something about fear that dislodges us from our faith. There's something about fear that robs us of our, our peace. And where does fear come from? Where does, where does fear really come from? It comes from sin. It, it, it always comes from sin. And sin comes from an attitude or a belief that says, I don't need God. I don't need God to be happy. That's where sin always came from. In Genesis chapter 3, when uh, Adam and Eve, they took the fruit and they disobeyed God, the next thing, the next emotion that they experience is fear. In verse 10 of Genesis 3, God calls to Adam and Eve, and Adam answers to God, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Why was Adam afraid? Because he sinned. He sinned. Fear is the consequence of sin. Fear always comes from this attitude that I don't, I just, I don't need God. I'm fine without him. Another way of saying this is that sin always comes from disbelief or forgetfulness of the gospel. And the gospel, of course, tells us that we are forgiven by the blood of Christ. And so we have peace with God. There is no getting, you don't have to continually get right with God once you've put your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are justified. And we tend to forget that. We tend to forget our standing with God. We forget that we are forgiven. And so we end up running to other people and other things to get this peace that we so desperately need. Think of a child who gets lost. How does a child get lost? We have, uh, my, our, my wife and I have, a, our youngest is an 18-month-old. 
and she now has figured out how to open the front door. And, and so there have been a couple times now where we've been looking around the house for her and we just happen to glance outside and there's Keller walking up the street. We're really good parents, by the way, most of the time. And so I'm thinking to myself, and sometimes I'll just follow her because I want to know how far will she go? How far would she go? Because eventually she will realize, wait a minute, where am I? Where's my house? Where's mom and dad? And, and you know what happens is kids, and the reason she did that, by the way, is because she doesn't need us. In her mind, she doesn't need us. She won't let me pick out her clothes. She won't let me put her pants on. She's a little misindependent, already 18 months old. It's very scary for me. And it's because she doesn't think she needs me. And the truth is that whenever a, whenever a young person realizes that they need their parents, it's usually too late. They're usually in way over their heads. And that's how kids get lost all the time is because they realize they didn't, or they, they decided they don't need their parents. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. Every single one of you has decided at some point in your life, maybe some of you are there right now, that you don't need God. You don't need God to be happy. You've gone your own way. I've done it too. And the only way for us to be found is to turn around and go back home. It's to turn around and face God and say, God, I, I am sorry. I was wrong. I do need you. I do need you to be happy. I do need you to live. I need you for everything. It's not too late. It's not too late. And for those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ, you know, here's the problem. Even after you go home, the enemy is going to continue to accuse you. He's going to continue to tell you, you know, you're going to sin again and again and again. And the enemy is going to say, you know what, God is going to get you now. God's mad at you. He's coming after you. He's going to get revenge on you for what you've done. And the truth is that God is going to get revenge. He is going to pay people for their sin, the wages of their sin, if they never come home, if they never turn to him for forgiveness. But if you have turned to God for forgiveness, then all the enemy can do is lie to you. That's all he can do. All he can do is accuse you. And that's why we need the spirit of truth to declare to us reality, to declare to us that we are justified, that we are right with God, that God is not out to get us. He already has us. He has paid the highest price to get us back, to bring us home. The blood of his own son. And that's the gospel. That's the one thing we can't ever forget. That's the one thing the disciples need to remember. That's the one thing you and I need to remember to have any kind of real peace in this world. And and so the truth is, we have a choice. We have the freedom to choose between peace and fear. Because if you know Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him for forgiveness, according to Jesus, you have peace whether you realize it or not. You have it. It's there for you. It's in you. His spirit is living in you. And whatever trouble you're going through, if there's one thing you take home today, just one thing, just please let it be this. 
that whatever trouble you're going through is an opportunity for you to have peace in your life. And you know what the good news is? You don't have to wait for that trouble to be gone to experience this peace. That trouble may stick around for a long time, but peace is right in front of you. Did you know that? And by now you should be asking, well, that sounds good. That sounds great. How? I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be afraid. How can I have this peace? Because I need it. And God gives us a solution, as he always does. Um, in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul writes, he writes a, a couple verses, and I am convinced that the Apostle Paul already knew these words from Jesus because it's, he's saying the same thing that Jesus does here. And this is what pa- the Apostle Paul says in, Ph- in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. This is the last verse we're going to read. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Some of you have, there is chaos in your life. There is chaos in your marriage. There is chaos in your home because of your one or, one or more of your kids. There is chaos in your heart because you've disobeyed God or you have, you've ignored God or there's some unconfessed sin in your life or there are skeletons in your closet. There's chaos in your life because of, of money or health or some family relationship and you are tempted to fear and you don't know if everything's going to be okay. What can you do? Pray? Is that, is that all we have to do is pray? Because I've been praying, you know? I mean, that's what Paul says. He says you need to pray with, and offer your request to God with thanksgiving. Is that it? Because I've been asking God to take care of me. And it doesn't seem like he's answering. It, doesn't, it seems like he's putting me off. But you've got you've to listen to what Paul says here, okay? He says, make known your request to God, or reveal. That could also be translated, reveal your deepest request to God. What are those requests? And this is really important. This is really important for us. What Paul is after and what Jesus is getting at here is you, and Jesus talks about asking for things in his name. What what he's telling us to do is to make known to God our deepest fears. He wants us to ask God for the thing beneath the immediate need. That's the thing we have to make known. It's, the, it's whatever the trouble is beneath your immediate need. So what are you really worried about? So you need a job. You need a child. You need to sell your house. You need more money. You need to get out of debt. You need more friends. You need to stop sinning. You need to get to the next phase, whatever it is. But what is it that you really need? What is it that you're afraid of? What are you insecure about? What is it? Because if all you're bringing to God is your circumstance and telling God to fix your problem, all you're asking God to do is put a Band-Aid on when what you really need is surgery. 
That's all we're doing. You really have to dig deep into what is really driving you because here is how our prayers typically go. God, I need you to do this. And if you don't, I'm afraid that this will happen. That's pretty much how we pray a lot, isn't it? God, I need you to uh, fix my problem. And if you don't, I'm afraid that something bad will happen or something worse will happen. Where does that kind of prayer come from? It comes from a shallow faith. A shallow faith prays, God, I need you to fix my kids. And if you don't, I'm afraid that my reputation will suffer. I'm afraid that I'll end up like one of those parents whose kids never lived up to my expectations. Or, God, I need you to give me a job, and if you don't, I'm afraid that my friends will lose respect for me, or that I'll lose my apartment, or whatever it is I'm I'm afraid of. And and please give me a job that um, has a title or something that sounds important. (laughs) You know, I mean, we can tend to pray sometimes that way. That's what we're really concerned about, is saving face when we pray to God. But that is not how Jesus prayed. And that is not how we taught his disciples to pray. So would you begin to change the way you pray? Would you stop asking God to fix your situation and your problem and start asking God to change your heart and to take away your fears? Would you dare to ask God for peace before he removes your trouble? Would you dare to ask God to get the glory in your trouble. Because if you're willing to do that with a, from a sincere heart, you will change. Your situation may not change right away, but you will. And that's the important thing. You will experience the peace of God which goes way deeper than knowledge or understanding. And that's the kind of peace that Jesus gives. That's the kind of peace that we really need. Do you have it? Do you have that peace? I mean, can you imagine a church where nobody ever overreacts. Can you imagine being part of a church like that? That's what this is about. Because a church that had the peace of Jesus and exercised it all the time would never overreact to anything. Did you know that? Can you imagine a church where people, when people get into trouble or experience difficulty in life, everyone prays, everyone sticks together, nobody scatters, and we all pray until God moves. Until God changes us. They pray until God's peace overwhelms us and nobody's worried about anything. Nobody's afraid of anyone or anything. Everyone brings their fears and anxieties and worries to the table and we just pray that God would get the glory. What kind of power would that church have? What kind of witness would that church have? I want to find out, don't you? I want to find out. Because I believe there is no reason why we can't be that church. That peace is ours for the taking. It is ours to exercise. It is ours to display to this world that is full of trouble. There are people all around your life and in your sphere of influence who are desperate for peace. I don't care what they tell you or what they appear to you to look like, but if they don't know Jesus, they do not have this peace. I can promise you that. They do not know The peace that surpasses all understanding. But you do. You do have that peace. And the reason you have it is so that you might testify to the person and work of Jesus Christ, your Savior.
And so that more and more people can be redeemed by the gospel and experience this peace along with us. That's who we are. We're a church on the move to give people peace. And I'm very excited to experience that peace with you. And all we have to do is believe, he says. Can you do that? Are you, are you ready for that peace in your life? What's stopping you? Uh, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you have purchased our freedom through the blood of Jesus Christ in that everything you say, God, is true. That you are right in everything you do and that you are worthy of our praise, you're worthy of our worship, you're worthy of our trust, and you're worthy of our obedience. You have commanded us, God, to believe. You've told us to believe you. You've, you've told us not to be afraid. So God, help us to be obedient in this area and to simply trust your words so that we can experience the joy and the peace that are ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We are going to uh, finish the service today as we always do with uh, our giving portion of the service. And if you are a guest with us this morning, uh, please do not feel obligated to give. You are our guest. Just uh, relax. And, uh, but we're going we're gonna to stand. I'm going to have you all stand and we're going to sing together during this last song. And we're, we're going to just keep, stay standing during the worship time. And uh, if you have to write something or whatever, you can sit down until you're done. But um, the reason that we give every week and we give uh, to this church is because we're giving to God's kingdom. We're giving to a gospel movement. We are, we are giving because of what God has given us. God is a generous God. He is the most generous God. And that is why we worship Him. That is why we are generous people, is because of who God is. Because we want to reflect who God is in this world through our generosity. So let me say a quick prayer and then we'll sing together. God, I thank you again for everything you've given us in Jesus Christ. We give you our offering this morning. Uh, we give you, Lord, not just our, our money, but we give you our hearts right now. And we ask that you would use us and use this offering today to build your church and to build your kingdom and to bring more people home. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen.